This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones. They have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included, and there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. Podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep, and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. I have got a wonderful, snoozy bedtime story for you tonight. But before we get to tonight's reading, 
I just want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon.com. Sarah Belton, Angelica DeFossis, Katie Nakanishi, and a very, very special shout out to Paris Holmes, who I'm told is a very, very hard worker and um, finds some peace listening to the Sleepy Podcast at night. So I just want to say um, thank you for listening to the show, and I'm really glad that I can help you doze off at night, Paris. So thank you all, and to those of you listening who don't know, all these wonderful names that I just read are brand new patrons on Patreon.com, which is a site where you can go and support creators of the work that you like. So, if the Sleepy Podcast has become part of your nightly routine, uh, then consider going to Patreon.com slash Sleepy Radio and donating even a dollar a month. At $5 a month, you get access to a ton of rhythmic poetry readings um, that I do that are exclusive from the regular podcast feed. But no matter how much you donate, I will read your name in the opening credits of the next show after you do. So again, if you would like to be a part of making this show, just go to patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski, and the cover art for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. So, tonight, I'm going to be reading some more A.A. Milne. Winnie the Pooh, obviously, is his most recognizable work, but he was a very prolific writer. He wrote a lot of poetry, and he also wrote a lot of very short children's stories, which is what we're going to be reading tonight. I'm going to be reading uh, three different short stories from his series, A Gallery of Children, starting with The Princess and the Apple Tree, followed by Miss Waterlow in bed, and then a wonderful little story called Sand Babies. I really love the way that A.A. Milne writes it's, um, if you've ever read Winnie the Pooh, it's really innovative and strange and kind of dreamlike. And sometimes the sentences don't really make sense, um, but maybe they do after the second or third time reading them. Sometimes it kind of feels like um, reading words that are said in that in-between sleep period. You know, when you're about to go to bed and you're talking nonsense. Sometimes that feels like what his writing is. But I think it's that he's just really tapped into how children think and talk. And he's able to put it down on the page. The way that many, many other writers I don't think really could. And I think that's why Winnie the Pooh 
and all his other writing has aged so gracefully because there's this whimsical, kind of ridiculous nature to it that we can all relate to because we were all kids once. Okay, speaking of yapping, that's enough for me. Tonight, a series of short stories from A Gallery of Children by A.A. Milne. You're going to hear these three stories told once, and then they're going to repeat themselves so you can fall deep asleep and stay deep asleep. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. Princess and the Apple Tree Once upon a time, there was a beautiful princess who loved all lovely things, and most she loved the flowers and the blossoming trees in her father's garden. Now, there was a humble man called Silvio, whose business it was to tend the flowers and the trees in the king's garden and to him also they were a never-ending happiness because of their beauty. So it was that their love for lovely things drew them together, and Silvio loved the princess, and sometimes they walked hand in hand together. But the king was angry, for it was in his mind that the princess should marry a greater man than this, and he came upon Silvio in the garden and commanded him to leave that country and never to be found there again. And Silvio said, How can I leave the garden which I love? Whereupon the king laughed and said, Stay then, and touched him with the wand which he carried, and in a moment there was no Silvio there, but only another apple tree in the garden. For the king of that country was a great magician, and many were afraid of him. The days went by, and still the princess sought Silvio in the garden, but he did not come. So she went to her father, the king, and asked of him. And the king laughed and said, he was pruning an apple tree. I did not like the way he pruned it. He will never come back. Then the princess said, Which was the tree he was pruning? And the king led her to the window and showed her the tree. And the princess was astonished, for she did not know that there had been an apple tree there. And when she was alone, she went to the apple tree, saying, 
It was the last thing which he touched. So she touched it with her hand. Then the apple tree trembled gently, and the blossom fell upon her head. So it was on the next day, and the next. And summer came, but Silvio did not come. And autumn came, and still she thought of Silvio. One day, while she was beneath the apple tree, she cried out suddenly, Oh, Silvio, let me not forget you. And the tree shook, and an apple fell into her lap. The princess took a little silver knife and peeled the apple so that the peel was unbroken, and she threw the peel over her shoulder, saying, See whom I love. And she looked behind her, and there was the letter S upon the ground. So it was upon the next day and the next. And upon the fourth day, she took an apple from another tree, and the peel broke beneath her knife. And she picked a second apple, and the peel fell in this shape or that, whereupon she went quickly back to her own tree. And always an apple fell into her lap, and always it told her that it was Silvio whom she loved. There came a day when there was only one apple upon the tree. Then she was afraid, for she said, How shall I know whom I love? when the tree is empty. So she went near it. Very close then, she felt to Silvio, and he to her. And suddenly, she stretched out her arms and said, Apple tree, apple tree, you have seen whom it is that I love. Send him back to me. And she put her arms round the tree and clung to it, crying, Comfort me. And it moved within her arms. Whereupon she was frightened and drew her arms away, putting her hands before her eyes. And when she opened her eyes, there was Silvio waiting for her, a golden apple in his hand but there was no apple tree. Then Silvio said to the princess, Whom is it that you love? And she said, Silvio. So they kissed each other. And the king, seeing them from his window, said, Let him marry her, for he is a greater man than I. So they were married and lived happily ever afterwards, walking in the garden together, hand in hand. Miss Waterlow in bed. This is Miss Waterlow in bed. 
Mrs. Waterlow is kissing her goodnight and saying, God bless you and keep you, my darling, darlingest, my sweetheart, my little baby one. Miss Waterlow gives a little faraway smile. She is thinking. I know a funny thing to think when I'm alone. Mrs. Waterlow is looking at her as if she could never stop looking and saying, Thank you, and thank you, God, for giving me my darling, darlingest. You do understand, don't you, that it doesn't matter what happens to me. But oh, don't let anything terrible happen to her. Miss Waterlow is thinking, I shall pretend I'm big as the moon, and nobody can catch me I'm so big. Isn't that funny? Good night, beloved. Sleep well, my darling, darlingest. Miss Waterlow is remembering something, something very beautiful, but it all happened so long ago that she has forgotten the beginning of it before she remembers the end. Oh, my lovely, when you look like that, you make me want to cry. What are you thinking of, darlingest? Miss Waterlow won't tell. Yeah, perhaps for a moment, Mrs. Waterlow has been there too. God bless you, my lovely, she says, and puts out the light. Miss Waterlow is alone. Miss Waterlow at this time was one. It is a tremendous age to be, and often she would lie on her back and laugh to think of all the babies who were not. When she was six months old, Mr. Waterlow, who was a poet, wrote some verses about her, and he slipped them proudly into Mrs. Waterlow's hand one evening. Owing to a misunderstanding, they were used to wedge the nursery window, which rattled at night. And though they wedged very delightfully for some time, Mr. Waterlow couldn't help feeling a little disappointed. Mrs. Waterlow was, of course, as sorry as she could be when she understood what had happened but it was then too late. As Mr. Waterlow said, once you have bent a piece of poetry, it is never quite the same again. Fortunately for all of us, two lines at the end, torn off so as to make the wedge the right thickness, have survived. They go like this. She never walks, and she never speaks. And we've had her for weeks 
and weeks and weeks. Now the truth was that Miss Waterlow could speak if she wanted to, but she had decided to wait until she was a quarter past one. The reason was that she had such lovely things to remember. If only she could remember them. You can't talk and think. For a year and a quarter, she would just lie on her back and remember. And then, when she had it all quite clear in her mind, she would tell them all about it. But nobody can speak without practice. So every night, as soon as she was alone, she practiced. She practiced now. Teddy, she called. Down on the floor, at the foot of her bed, Teddy Bear, whose head was nodding on his chest, woke up with a start. What is it? He grumbled. Are you asleep, Teddy? I are, and I aren't, said Teddy. I forget I were, and I weren't, said Miss Waterlow. Well, what is it? What's a word for a lovely, a lovely, you know what I mean. And all of a sudden, only you don't. Because, what is the word, Teddy? Condensed milk, said Teddy. I don't think it is, said Miss Waterlow. As near as you can get it nowadays. Miss Waterlow sighed. She never seemed to get very near. Perhaps I shall never tell them, said Miss Waterlow sadly. Perhaps they don't have the word. Perhaps they don't, said Teddy. It's a funny thing about them, he went on, waking up slightly. What a few words they have got. Take condensed milk as an example. It does, but it isn't really, if you see what I mean. That's why I never talk to them now. They don't get any richness into their words. They don't get any what I call flavor. There's no bite. I want a word. Better go to sleep, said Teddy his head nodding suddenly again. Shan't I ever be able to tell them? asked Miss Waterlow wistfully. Never, said Teddy sleepily. They've got the wrong words. Miss Waterlow lay there, wrapped in drowsy and enchanted memories of that golden land to which she could never quite return. She would tell them all about it someday. 
but not now, not now, not now. She gave a little sigh and was asleep. Sand babies. They had never been to the seaside before, so you can imagine how pleased they were when Mr. Merriweather said, I think we will go to the sea this summer. It will do the children good. They all began to jump about and get very excited, all except John. John had heard about the sea, but he didn't quite believe it. So, he said to his father, When you go to the seaside, do you really see the sea? All the other children laughed, and Mary, the eldest, who knew everything, said, Silly, of course you do. John kept his eyes on his father and said, Do you really? And his father said, Yes, old boy, you do. Then John gave a great sigh of happiness and said, I far, perhaps you did. And he walked round and round the garden, singing, I am going to see the sea. Mary went off with her mother to talk about what sort of clothes they would all want. Mary was ten, and when you are ten and the eldest, almost everything depends upon you. John was three and the youngest, and sometimes Mary was not quite sure whether she was John's mother or not. If you could have two mothers, then she was one of them. The great question, said Mr. Merriweather next day, is where shall we go? John looked at him as if he could hardly believe. I thought we were going to the sea, he said, almost crying. Silly, of course we are, said Mary. But there are lots of places by the sea. Let's go to a place where there are heaps of lovely shells. And sand, said Margaret. And rocks, said Joe. And pools. Shells, sand, rocks, pools wrote Mr. Merriweather on his cuff. Anything else? John tried to speak once or twice, but nothing happened. Yes, darling, said his mother. See, said John faintly. And see, wrote Mr. Merriweather. And what do you want, Stephen? Stephen was four. He thought a good deal, 
but never said anything. So, if it hadn't been for Joan, nobody would ever know what he wanted. Stephen wants the same as me, don't you, Stephen, said Joan quickly. Stephen nodded. He was thinking of something else. On the Monday, they all went off. As soon as they got out at the station, Mr. Merriweather said, I can smell the sea. And Mary said, So can I. But she couldn't really. John very nearly cried again because he thought the sea was something you saw, not just something you smelled. But Mary told him that tomorrow, after breakfast, he would really see it, wouldn't he, Mother? And Mrs. Merriweather said, Yes, it was too late now. So they waited till tomorrow. As soon as they had finished breakfast, and they were all too excited to eat much, except Stephen, who could think just as well whether he was eating or whether he wasn't. Mary took them out. Mr. Merriweather stayed behind to read his paper, and Mrs. Merriweather stayed behind to see about dinner, because they knew they could trust Mary. John and Stephen walked in front, Joan chattering to Stephen, and Stephen thinking. Then came Margaret, talking eagerly over her shoulder to Mary. And then came Mary, holding John's hand and saying, We're nearly there, dear. Suddenly they turned the corner, and there they were. Mary said proudly, There, darling, there's the sea. Margaret said, Isn't it lovely? Joan said, Oh, look, Stephen. Stephen said nothing, of course. And John opened his mouth to say something, turned very red, and burst into tears. They were all very sorry for John, except Stephen, who was thinking of something else. The worst of it was that none of them knew what was the matter with him. Had he had had too much breakfast, or too little? Was he tired? Would he like Margaret to take him back? John couldn't tell them. He didn't know. What would you like to do, darling? said Mary. Shall we pick some lovely shells? John sniffed and nodded. They went on to the beach. There were many other children there, 
but they were much too happy to take notice of the Merriweather family. Now, said Mary, let's see who can find the prettiest shell. Oh, look at this one. Oh, and this one, Mary, said Margaret. Well, put them in my bag, said Mary. Would you like to hold the bag, darling? Yes, said John meekly. Afraid to look at it again, he stood with his back to the sea and dropped the shells into the bag as they were given to him. Why had the sea made him cry like that? He didn't know. Perhaps Stephen. He looked at Stephen. No, it was no good asking Stephen. The Princess and the Apple Tree Once upon a time, there was a beautiful princess who loved all lovely things, and most she loved the flowers and the blossoming trees in her father's garden. Now, there was a humble man called Silvio, whose business it was to tend the flowers and the trees in the king's garden, and to him also they were never-ending happiness because of their beauty. So it was that their love for lovely things drew them together, and Silvio loved the princess, and sometimes they walked hand in hand together. But the king was angry, for it was in his mind that the princess should marry a greater man than this, and he came upon Silvio in the garden and commanded him to leave that country and never to be found there again. And Silvio said, How can I leave the garden which I love? Whereupon the king laughed and said, Stay then, and touched him with the wand which he carried. And in a moment, there was no Silvio there, but only another apple tree in the garden. For the king of that country was a great magician, and many were afraid of him. The days went by, and still the princess sought Silvio in the garden, but he did not come. So she went to her father, the king, and asked of him. And the king laughed and said, He was pruning an apple tree. I did not like the way he pruned it. He will never come back. Then the princess said, Which was the tree he was pruning? and the king led her to the window and showed her the tree. And the princess was astonished, for she did not know that there had been an apple tree there. And when she was alone, she went to the apple tree, saying, It was the last thing which he touched. So she touched it with her hand. Then the apple tree trembled gently 
and the blossom fell upon her head. So it was on the next day, and the next. And summer came, but Silvio did not come. And autumn came, and still she thought of Silvio. One day, while she was beneath the apple tree, she cried out suddenly, Oh, Silvio, let me not forget you. And the tree shook, and an apple fell into her lap. The princess took a little silver knife and peeled the apple so that the peel was unbroken, and she threw the peel over her shoulder, saying, See whom I love. And she looked behind her, and there was the letter S upon the ground. So it was upon the next day and the next. And upon the fourth day, she took an apple from another tree, and the peel broke beneath her knife. And she picked a second apple, and the peel fell in this shape or that, whereupon she went quickly back to her own tree. And always an apple fell into her lap, and always it told her that it was Silvio whom she loved. There came a day when there was only one apple upon the tree. Then she was afraid, for she said, How shall I know whom I love when the tree is empty? So she went near it. Very close then, she felt to Silvio, and he to her. And suddenly, she stretched out her arms and said, Apple tree, apple tree, you have seen whom it is that I love. Send him back to me. And she put her arms round the tree and clung to it, crying, Comfort me. And it moved within her arms. Whereupon she was frightened and drew her arms away, putting her hands before her eyes. And when she opened her eyes, there was Silvio waiting for her, a golden apple in his hand. But there was no apple tree. Then Silvio said to the princess, Whom is it that you love? And she said, Silvio. So they kissed each other. And the king seeing them from his window, said, Let him marry her, for he is a greater man than I. So they were married, and lived happily ever afterwards, walking in the garden together, hand in hand. Miss Waterlow in bed this is Miss Waterlow in bed. Mrs. Waterlow is kissing her goodnight and saying, God bless you and keep you, 
my darling, darlingest, my sweetheart, my little baby one. Miss Waterlow gives a little faraway smile. She is thinking. I know a funny thing to think when I'm alone. Mrs. Waterlow is looking at her as if she could never stop looking and saying, Thank you, and thank you, God, for giving me my darling, darlingest. You do understand, don't you, that it doesn't matter what happens to me. But oh, don't let anything terrible happen to her. Miss Waterlow is thinking, I shall pretend I'm big as the moon, and nobody can catch me, I'm so big. Isn't that funny? Good night, beloved. Sleep well, my darling, darlingest. Miss Waterlow is remembering something, something very beautiful, but it all happened so long ago that she has forgotten the beginning of it before she remembers the end. Oh, my lovely, when you look like that, you make me want to cry. What are you thinking of, darlingest? Miss Waterlow won't tell. Yeah, perhaps for a moment, Mrs. Waterlow has been there too. God bless you, my lovely, she says, and puts out the light. Miss Waterlow is alone. Miss Waterlow at this time was one. It is a tremendous age to be, and often she would lie on her back and laugh to think of all the babies who were not. When she was six months old, Mr. Waterlow, who was a poet, wrote some verses about her, and he slipped them proudly into Mrs. Waterlow's hand one evening. Owing to a misunderstanding, they were used to wedge the nursery window, which rattled at night. And though they wedged very delightfully for some time, Mr. Waterlow couldn't help feeling a little disappointed. Mrs. Waterlow was, of course, as sorry as she could be when she understood what had happened. But it was then too late. As Mr. Waterlow said, once you have bent a piece of poetry... It is never quite the same again. Fortunately for all of us, two lines at the end, torn off so as to make the wedge the right thickness, have survived. They go like this. She never walks, and she never speaks. And we've had her for weeks and weeks and weeks. Now the truth was that Miss Waterlow 
could speak if she wanted to, but she had decided to wait until she was a quarter past one. The reason was that she had such lovely things to remember. If only she could remember them. You can't talk and think. For a year and a quarter, she would just lie on her back and remember. And then, when she had it all quite clear in her mind, she would tell them all about it. But nobody can speak without practice. So every night, as soon as she was alone, she practiced. She practiced now. Teddy, she called. Down on the floor, at the foot of her bed, Teddy Bear, whose head was nodding on his chest, woke up with a start. What is it? He grumbled. Are you asleep, Teddy? I are, and I aren't, said Teddy. I forget I were, and I weren't, said Miss Waterlow. Well, what is it? What's a word for a lovely, a lovely, you know what I mean. And all of a sudden, only you don't, because, what is the word, Teddy? Condensed milk, said Teddy. I don't think it is, said Miss Waterlow. As near as you can get it nowadays. Miss Waterlow sighed. She never seemed to get very near. Perhaps I shall never tell them, said Miss Waterlow sadly. Perhaps they don't have the word. Perhaps they don't, said Teddy. It's a funny thing about them, he went on, waking up slightly. What a few words they have got. Take condensed milk as an example. It does, but it isn't really, if you see what I mean. That's why I never talk to them now. They don't get any richness into their words. They don't get any what I call flavor. There's no bite. I want a word. Better go to sleep, said Teddy, his head nodding suddenly again. Shan't I ever be able to tell them, asked Miss Waterlow wistfully. Never, said Teddy sleepily. They've got the wrong words. Miss Waterlow lay there, wrapped in drowsy and enchanted memories of that golden land to which she could never quite return. She would tell them all about it someday. But not now. Not now. Not now. She gave a little sigh. 
and was asleep. Sand babies. They had never been to the seaside before, so you can imagine how pleased they were when Mr. Merriweather said, I think we will go to the sea this summer. It will do the children good. They all began to jump about and get very excited, all except John. John had heard about the sea, but he didn't quite believe it. So, he said to his father, When you go to the seaside, do you really see the sea? All the other children laughed, and Mary, the eldest, who knew everything, said, Silly, of course you do. John kept his eyes on his father and said, do you really? And his father said, Yes, old boy, you do. Then John gave a great sigh of happiness and said, I thought perhaps you did. And he walked round and round the garden singing, I am going to see the sea. Mary went off with her mother to talk about what sort of clothes they would all want. Mary was ten, and when you are ten and the eldest, almost everything depends upon you. John was three and the youngest, and sometimes Mary was not quite sure whether she was John's mother or not. If you could have two mothers, then she was one of them. The great question, said Mr. Merriweather next day, is where shall we go? John looked at him as if he could hardly believe. I thought we were going to the sea, he said, almost crying. Silly, of course we are, said Mary. But there are lots of places by the sea. Let's go to a place where there are heaps of lovely shells. And sand, said Margaret. And rocks, said Joe. And pools. Shells, sand, rocks, pools wrote Mr. Merriweather on his cuff. Anything else? John tried to speak once or twice, but nothing happened. Yes, darling, said his mother. See, said John faintly. And see, wrote Mr. Merriweather. And what do you want, Stephen? Stephen was four. He thought a good deal, but never said anything. So, if it hadn't been for Joan, nobody would ever know what he wanted.
Stephen wants the same as me. Don't you, Stephen? said Joan quickly. Stephen nodded. He was thinking of something else. On the Monday, they all went off. As soon as they got out at the station, Mr. Merriweather said, I can smell the sea. And Mary said, So can I. But she couldn't really. John very nearly cried again because he thought the sea was something you saw, not just something you smelled. But Mary told him that tomorrow, after breakfast, he would really see it, wouldn't he, Mother? And Mrs. Merriweather said, Yes, it was too late now. So they waited till tomorrow. As soon as they had finished breakfast, and they were all too excited to eat much, except Stephen, who could think just as well whether he was eating or whether he wasn't, Mary took them out. Mr. Merriweather stayed behind to read his paper, and Mrs. Merriweather stayed behind to see about dinner, because they knew they could trust Mary. John and Stephen walked in front, Joan chattering to Stephen, and Stephen thinking. Then came Margaret, talking eagerly over her shoulder to Mary. And then came Mary, holding John's hand and saying, We're nearly there, dear. Suddenly they turned the corner, and there they were. Mary said proudly, There, darling, there's the sea. Margaret said, Isn't it lovely? Joan said, Oh, look, Stephen. Stephen said nothing, of course. And John opened his mouth to say something, turned very red, and burst into tears. They were all very sorry for John, except Stephen, who was thinking of something else. The worst of it was that none of them knew what was the matter with him. Had he had too much breakfast, or too little? Was he tired? Would he like Margaret to take him back? John couldn't tell them. He didn't know. What would you like to do, darling? said Mary. Shall we pick some lovely shells? John sniffed and nodded. They went on to the beach. There were many other children there, but they were much too happy to take notice of the Merriweather family. Now, said Mary, 
Let's see who can find the prettiest shell. Oh, look at this one. Oh, and this one, Mary, said Margaret. Well, put them in my bag, said Mary. Would you like to hold the bag, darling? Yes, said John meekly. Afraid to look at it again, he stood with his back to the sea and dropped the shells into the bag as they were given to him. Why had the sea made him cry like that? He didn't know. Perhaps Stephen. He looked at Stephen. No, it was no good asking Stephen. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.